Imagine a world without waste. Imagine if you can make products and packaging right every time. It's possible with the help of SpecRite, the first cloud-based platform for specification data management. You can track and report on material usage year over year, run LCAs with the click of a button, and comply with new packaging regulations like EPR and the UK plastics tax. Go to specright.com backslash sustainability to learn more. That's right, everyone. Go check out specright.com. Been so impressed by what they're building and so appreciative of their partnership here on the People of Packaging podcast. Today, I am joined by Alex Cree from Bowza. He has an incredible story involving Mark Cuban and why it is they decided to start this company where they have a, a bow and they put it, they make it stuffed with pizza. And we talk about how the bow is actually a lot like packaging. It's, it's a food packaging. It's the primary packaging for the pizza. It's a great conversation. Everyone, make sure you check out bauza.com, B-A-O-Z-Z-A.com. Listen to this interview with Alex. I think you're going to be really impressed by his story and about what he has built. Let's get right to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. I'm excited because I believe, I believe, Alex, that you are the first guest that I met on Twitter or X or the artist formerly known as Twitter or whatever we're calling it, the platform. Uh, I, I meet a lot of people on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I meet people through TikTok. I've got a decent following there. And I've just sort of started to work around in X or Twitter, or whatever it is. And I'll be honest, I don't even remember how we met there, but I remember I reached out. I was like, you've got a cool product. I'd love to have you on my podcast. And you're like, let's do it. So here we are, recording an episode. Um, so I am joined by Alex Cree. I didn't even ask your official title. Is it founder? Uh, you know, chief amazingness officer. Like, what? What's your official title there? Um, well, uh, I go by co-founder. Okay. You know, we we're, we're a small team, so we, we you know. A lot of a lot of these founders are uh, they go by CEO, um, but um, my partner and I we for, for for seven years now we've actually kept it just straight co-founder. So got uh, it. Yeah, that's cool. And your co-founder is in is still in Beijing. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, there's probably a lot of stories there that we can get into, but um, and so you are the co-founder of Bowza which is this, I, I want to get into the story of how this happened, because I think it's really neat. Uh, that was what actually attracted me to You posted about it. And I was like, this looks like a collision of two things that I love. Like the first time I ever saw peanut butter in a pretzel, I'm like, yes, I love it. <laughs> so I'd love to hear about the story. How did you come up with this, with this product? And how did you get here seven years later? Sure. Well, you know, first off, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, you know, any any chance we get to to talk to the world um, and uh, kind of show off what we're doing, we always are are very appreciative. Um, you know, we we're not we're, my partner and I are are not really kind of the public founder, if you will. We're neither of us are influencers. Um, you know, you're not going to see us out there. Um, you know, giving all sorts of, uh, you know, interviews and panels and that sort of thing. It's just maybe not our, not our strong suit, but, um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll definitely, um, I'll, I'll walk you through kind of, 
kind of how this thing came about. And I, I should say that, you know, a lot of people, when they kind of first look at the brand, when they first kind of get to know the products and, and find out what this is, it's always, you know, a big question mark. Like, wow, how did you come up with this? And, and how did this come about? So, you know, in our case, um, it really, it really came about uh, back in kind of the 2015, 2016 timeframe. Um, but I should say before that, <clears throat> um, you know, my partner and I are both um, longtime China guys. We lived in China for many years. I think I was over there about eight years. He still lives there. I think he's been in China about 17 years, something like that. Um, we both speak Mandarin. Um, we were both working in uh, finance, um, you know, at different firms. We met back in 2010 um, and we became very good friends. Um, and so, you know, I, uh, you know, we, we both moved on uh, kind of in the mid uh, 2010s. And um, my partner, Lauren, was uh, in the food business. He uh, became kind of a, a co-founder and and um, you know, kind of a, a, a board member, if you will, of a very successful chain of Mexican restaurants in Beijing. Oh, Funny okay. enough, uh, they're called Qmex Bar and Grill. They've got six locations. They're big. Um, it's kind of difficult at this point to to get a seat uh, on a on a Monday night uh, to give you an idea. Um, I had also played a little bit in food originally um, at my old my old firm. We were dealing with franchising, restaurant franchising, and master franchising. Um, and so, uh, roughly around 2015, um, I was freelancing. Uh, Lauren had just gotten involved um, with his his new restaurant group, and um, I came up with the idea for this just sort of when I was traveling on a on a on a freelance project uh, down in South China. It was a very long car ride. Um, somebody was talking about pizza, somebody was talking about baozi and different things you could put in baozi. Um, and I was just like, pizza baozi, you could call it a baozi, right? It was just kind of a wordplay. Um, and um, I was like, wow, that actually kind of sounds good. Um, and I actually went to the hotel buffet the next morning uh, with our group. And um, I took a Chinese steamed bun off of the, off of the rack and they had pizza at the hotel as well. So I took a slice of pizza, I emptied the Chinese bun and I stuffed it. I scraped the pizza toppings into the bun and I ate it and everybody was mortified, but I loved it. And the dough was like really soft and spongy and fluffy. And then the insides were really soft and gooey, right? Cheesy, gooey, right? So it was a really nice kind of a flavor combination, um, but a really, really nice texture combination. I was like, wow this is doable. So I got back to LA and I, uh, <laughs> I started making them in my kitchen. I actually learned more like the fundamentals of bow making on YouTube. Um, and so I, it was just a fun project, side project while I was working on other things. Um, I started serving them to my Airbnb guests. Uh, I started serving them to my friends. We had a big birthday party one year for me and we made little bow making stations uh, and everybody brought their own pizza toppings. We made all sorts of cool stuff. Um, started doing them for parties, Super Bowl parties, things like that. But anyways, um, you know, I was like, wow, nothing like this really exists. And we, we slowly kind of started to learn, um, you know, and, and certainly nothing like this existed in the U.S. 
Um, but then we started to take a really deep dive. It's like, wow, nothing like this actually exists in China, um, at least at that time that we knew of or that was you know, big. So, um, you know, the concept for this originally was um, kind of like a fast casual or quick serve retail, like fast food. We wanted to be a little bit like um, almost like an Auntie Anne's or a Cinnabon. So kind of small, grab and go, just sort of real small kind of kiosk format. Um, and we thought of this, you know, the, the, the real thesis for this was that, you know, most bao in China is kind of, you know, extreme commodity, right? It's, it's very, I wouldn't say low end, but it's very kind of staple-ish, right? It's extremely inexpensive. Uh, most of the places where you buy it are little kind of stalls on the street or maybe convenience stores. Um, and we're like, wow, what if we made this like, a, what if we really took a retail experience and like really just exaggerated this re retail experience into something a little bit more high end, a little bit more cool, right? A little more elevated, if you will, and then combine kind of the pizza fusion element uh, the pizza side of it was actually maybe more interesting in China. Um, my partner, Lauren, he knows from direct experience, uh, he had been, uh, his operating group, his restaurant operating group had at one point uh, opened a pizza by the slice restaurant in Beijing and it failed. Um, mm. Chinese don't really like ordering pizza by the slice for basically two reasons. Uh, number one is um, usually it sits out in like a glass display case and then gets reheated. So it's not perceived as fresh. Um, the second is that it's very messy. So most Chinese, if they're going to eat something like that, are going to eat it with a fork and knife. So if you don't have seating, it's not going to work very well. Um, they're not going like uh, like New York style, just like grabbing it and folding it up and not really. And if, they, and if and if they are, they're actually going to put gloves on. Like you, you would pass out gloves, little got it, towel, right? So. Um, <clears throat> So, you know, pizza by the slice had not really come into its own in China. You know, you look at the evolution of pizza and the same is true in the U.S. It starts in restaurants um, and then, you know, it's, it's an experience to go out to that restaurant. You go out to a pizzeria. Um, China already majorly hit that wave with Pizza Hut, um, you know, real sit down experience. Um, and then in the last whatever, 10, 15 years, pizza delivery to people's homes started to emerge, which then signals that it's more than the experience. It's actually the taste that they like because they're just eating it by themselves in private. Um, and then really the, the, the next iterations of those are like the, the next single iteration of that is like, okay, so you go from pizza anytime at home, right? Or, or pizza delivered to your home to pizza anytime, anywhere. Right. And if you look at the U S you know, we have, DiGiorno, right? So it's just right out of your freezer. Um, but we also have like these little on the spot pizza by the slice kind of all over the place, right? Yeah, so I think of like the mall, at least growing up for me, it was like Sabaro at the mall yeah. was like the exactly. quintessential, like grab a piece of pizza whenever you want it. So funny enough, when we created Baozi, we created it for the Chinese market thinking that, you know, we could use the Bao form factor and bring pizza to the streets and then ultimately bring pizza to, you know, people's freezers. So that was like the brainchild for this. Okay. And um, so, yeah, you know, I moved back to Beijing in 2016 to get things kicked off. Um, and we started just 
going at it just bit at a time, uh, mostly grassroots. So we were doing big, uh, we were doing pop-ups just to start with. Um, and then we moved into like bigger festivals. And I mean, some of these festivals, I mean, we were getting lines for like two hours, people waiting for a bauza. People would come across the city. It's a big city. Beijing's like, I think the size of like Connecticut, really. Um, people would come from very long distances because they'd read about it online. Um, from there, we went into a kind of a ghost kitchen. That was our start because we didn't really have any cash. So we wanted to just stay small, stay lean, um, and just and, and not have it be like, you know, a beautifully designed kitchen where there's a lot more pressure on us to like really, really execute an open concept. Um, and so just running deliveries in uh, Beijing Stanley Tune neighborhood. Um, that ended up getting kind of popular, funny enough, because the, the locals in the neighborhood, uh, they didn't want to pay the delivery fees. So it was easier for them to just track down the address and go searching for the ghost kitchen, which was uh, down mm -hmm. a, a long gangly hallway. Um, so people actually started queuing up at the ghost kitchen, which was a little weird. So wow. we actually then moved into the hutongs, the old um, kind of you know Ming and Qing dynasty kind of um, alleyways in the center of Beijing, his very historical neighborhood. And we had a really cool little 24 seat uh, Baoza joint with a full bar. It was it, it killed. It was great. Um, and so anyways, yeah, from there, we were able to raise a little bit of money. Uh, funny enough, we got Mark Cuban at that point. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask about that. I read in a story that you just like cold emailed Mark Cuban. And yeah, <laughs> so Straight let up. me this is, this is you, you wouldn't know this because this is the first time we've had this conversation. But um, you said in there, you know, I'd heard that Mark Cuban will, you know, listen to someone or answer an email. Um, and actually, my my sister knows Mark Cuban and has been like, like at a restaurant with him and her, like people just walk up to him and he's like, yeah, I got five minutes. She's like, no, that's actually who he is. And oh, yeah. he'll give him advice. And so I wanted to hear about that. So you just cold emailed Mark Cuban and he was like, sounds great. I'm in. No, I mean, obviously there's probably a ton of due diligence and behind the scenes stuff that goes into it. All right. Let me just jump in here real quickly because this is super exciting. Uh, my wife and I and our kids came out with this book, Packaging Peaks in the Sticky Situation. It took us a couple of years to write. We spent a lot of time in illustrating and all that. It's finally out. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at mascotbooks.com. There's a link down in the show notes that you can click. We wrote it because I was trying to describe to my kids you know, what it's like. And there's all these children's books out there about various different industries and about various different jobs. We wanted people in our industry to have a book to be able to relate to their kids with. So go pick it up, please. It would mean so much to support us. Packaging Peaks in the Sticky Situation on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Let's get back into this interview. Yeah, so funny enough, I, I you know, I just kind of cold email it, emailed him on a whim. I actually didn't hear back. So then the next night I said, hey, did anybody get this? And then within like two minutes, he replied from his personal Gmail um, and it was him. He said, I got it. And I was like, well, would you like to see our deck? And he said, sure. So that was it. And then um, I sent the deck and some talking points. And then the next day, I got a more uh, lengthy email from uh, one of his associates, one of his uh, junior staff members. Um, and just so happens this person you know, spoke a little bit of Mandarin. Uh, he'd been taking some Chinese in college and... Um, Mark would send him out to China, maybe, 
you know, three or four times a year to look at deals and to, you know, look at Dallas Mavericks sponsorships and other things for, for Mark over in China. So, you know, really on his, on his next trip, which was only, you know, a couple of months out, he actually swung by Beijing. Uh, he actually came down to the ghost kitchen. Uh, I treated him to some baozi, Um, and they, funny enough, they passed. So, uh, we're like, okay, well, we didn't expect much there, but, um, Funny enough, then we started to evolve. We, we, you know, one of the things about our product is that if you make it from scratch, the, the lead time, because you have to proof the buns, they have to sit there and like shape themselves and like you know, the dough proofing process, right? So it, there's a little bit of lead time and it makes it very difficult to make these by hand, one by one in, you know, a restaurant format. And we, that's what we were doing in the ghost kitchen. And so we realized if this concept was going to take off, if we were going to ultimately open up a flagship, a fully branded flagship, you know, we were going to need a cold chain. We we're going to need a, a supply chain where the buns were going to have to be factory made um, and then reheated in the store. And the cool thing about bao buns is that unlike most other foods, with the exception of maybe par-baked things, um, a bao bun actually reheats beautifully. Most of the time, you can't actually tell that it's been made uh, and frozen. And, um, you know, there's, you know, there's actually, you know, our buns actually, are, at least in China, they're, they're very like restaurant quality. Uh, we were on a menu at like a kind of a Michelin star restaurant group. Um, so, so mm. the reheating aspect is phenomenal because of the steam. Um, and so anyways, we started moving in that direction. Um, and actually a mutual connection had, uh, uh, had been talking to Mark's associate at, at, you know, just in the course of their, their travels. And, um, they, they actually learned that we were planning on launching a CPG line. So the associate reached out to me and said, Hey, how's everything at Bauza? I gave him an update and sure enough, the, the, the frozen cold chain part of the, part of this started to actually make it much more interesting. He said, Hey, you know, I think, I think Mark might go for this. And within about three weeks, we had a term sheet. Um, and then from there, yeah, it was about a four month due diligence. So, you know, I think the initial pitch was in January and we closed in early November. Um, so, you know, and, and I should say, you know, Mark does not do a lot of investing overseas. He's not kind of an international investing presence. We were actually the first deal he had done, um, with any sort of focus on Asia. Um, you know, so there's a lot of new kind of learnings there, I think on both sides, but, um, but yeah, so we had we had Mark um, at that point, and then it made it easier for us to to follow on and 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 raise another round subsequent to that. Um, and finally, we had adequate funding to actually get a flagship going. Um, and so, really, you know, 2018 was kind of a building and planning year. Uh, 2019, we opened up a gorgeous shop in uh, the Wu Jiaochang neighborhood of Shanghai, which isn't like downtown. So we, we, we missed out, deliberately missed out on all like the hipsters and like the really cool kids and the foreigners and the expats and all that kind of stuff. We decided to go more out to kind of where a mainstream audience would be kind of near China's, uh, near Shanghai's, you know, universities. So, you know, Fudan University and, and some others uh, out in that area. And um, yeah, we were just in a shopping mall um and our, our view is like if it can't work here then you know it can't scale in china and you know we got off to a great start we did really well uh we learned a lot in the process um but you know by the second half of the year we actually uh 
took our, our first steps with franchisee. So the whole thing started to materialize kind of the way that we had hoped. Um, and the franchisee uh, we signed with, um, you know, had plans for about seven stores. Um, and they opened up the first store in a really cool location inside of um, what's called Tianzifong in Shanghai. Um, it's very kind of touristy, a lot of trinket shops and all that kind of stuff, but high traffic people there to like, you know, try new things. And uh, <laughs> store opened a good, I don't know, 13, 14 days before uh, COVID struck. So I'm like following the timeline. I'm like, and I'm going to hear it. <laughs> it's going to yeah. like franchise, building out, re like it's a store. I'm like, oh man, I can't so, imagine. So we, you know, when the, when the franchise opened, we were, we were planning on shutting down our shop um, so that we could just focus on kind of quote unquote supply chain and headquarters operations and just really just support the franchisee. Um, and so at that point, you know, everything got locked down and basically the franchisee was out, out of the business. And then all of a sudden our retail situation was kind of at zero, but you know, by that point, thankfully we had uh, made enough progress in developing our CPG line. And mm -hmm. you know, it's at that, you know, if you're in a co-packer, which we were by that point, very fully licensed, uh, guess what? You slap a box on it and, uh, you're street legal to sell anywhere. Packaging saves the day. <laughs> so, uh, 2020 ended up seeing our, our retail business completely cave. However, uh, we, you know, we, we just did a, a very nice, uh, very nice six figure USD, I should say, um, you know, sales, sales job on the, frozen uh, two packs and four packs. Um, so we were selling them online on Taobao on other channels and like started getting some distribution and all of a sudden, you know, we we're, we we're in a pretty good spot. So, um, you know, by that point, you know, Mark had come out to, um, he had come out uh, about a year and a half prior to that in um, Shanghai when the Mavs were there. And so we had lunch with him and he's like, Hey, you know, if it's working in China, we should definitely bring this to the States. Um, and you know, we've been eating these every day for a couple of years now by this point. And doesn't doesn't take a genius to 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 realize that this product here is, you know, effectively kind of a, a hot pocket in a certain sense, um, a much better hot pocket. And we're like, sure. you know what? Most Americans don't know about bow buns, but maybe that doesn't matter. If if it's got pepperoni and mozzarella in it, maybe people will give it a shot. And, give and us dough. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> and so um, at the end of 2020, I moved back to California, um, dead, you know, eye of the hurricane uh, with COVID and the, the, you know, pandemic and everything. And somehow within all that, I was able to get, you know, supply chain and co-packing set up here in California. Um, and we hired some sales agents and uh, kind of went out, landed sprouts and sort of started building our, our retail presence from there. So that's kind of the long and long and short of the story. China's yeah. gotten China's gotten a little bit rocked in uh, the last two years with all the zero COVID lockdowns. Um, some very very onerous stuff that made it you know very hard for us to trade. Um, but we're still in the market. Funny enough, we're still doing sales over there. But the U.S. we've seen you know a much higher degree of acceptance. We've got a lot of regular customers. People love the product um, when they when they finally know what it is and get to taste it. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of been the, the evolution, uh, if you will. So what, what I found crazy, I was jotting down some notes here is you, the way that you describe bow 
is actually, I, I don't think, we kind of talked about this before the call, but you use phrases and words that are very common in the packaging industry. And I told you before the call, I said, I think it's cool that you have food packaging in food packaging. Like the bow is, is the edible pizza packaging. I wasn't prepared for you to say things like bow is a commodity, which we hear all the time in packaging, right? Like, oh, that's, you know, it's just a brown box. It's just a this, it's just a commodity. And it's like, well, no, you can make it really cool and meaningful and special. Um, you know, you talked about like dough proofing and, you know, that, that the lead times were longer. And I was like, it is actually edible packaging. I would like, as you're, as you're talking about, it, I'm like, this is this is pretty well. I was not planning on that at all. Well, and, um, and interestingly, to jump in is yeah. that not only is it edible packaging, if you will, but what the cool thing about Bao is that being steamed, it doesn't get like residue on your fingers, so it's actually really like tactile, and you can actually handle it better, right? So there's mm. from a functionality perspective, yeah, it's spot on. Does it come in soft touch? No, I'm just soft kidding. Touch. That's, that's a packaging joke. Yeah. You know, like uh, some boxes you feel it's got this like soft touch varnish on the outside of it. Uh, it's pretty big in like cosmetics and like personal care stuff. Anyway, you would know it if you picked up a box and you felt it. It sort of feels like your skin. Hmm. Um, maybe it does. I don't know. I need to go. Uh, I need to go check out the uh, the website and try to find something here near me in Salt Lake City. Totally. Um, it's actually super rare that I have somebody on the podcast who is at like a CPG and I haven't bought their product and tried it. And, um, like I said, it's normally I don't just like meet people on Twitter and like, here we are recording a podcast. So I'm going to, I'm going to try some, I'm excited for that. Head over um, to Harmons. What's that? Head over to Harmons. Harmons. Okay, perfect. I love me some Harmons. Um, I'll go find it there. So, uh, as we kind of that, that's I, I love the story. Uh, you can read about the story online as well. It's it's fascinating to me, you know, just how these things kind of come together. I guess I'm curious. Really, I only have like two final questions. Um, one is as it pertains to like CPG packaging. When you made that transition from China, where the the packaging, like I've I've. I've worked in packaging in mostly in, in Southern China, been there a few times for some customers and the environment around packaging is different than it is in the U S specifically because, you know, there's certain manufacturing that's subsidized and whatnot. Was that, well, I guess, did you carry the packaging over from China? Meaning, you know, you just kept using the same, you know, manufacturers or did you have to try to also pivot, not just your contract, your co-man, but also, you know, finding US, US based packaging suppliers. I'm curious how that transition, if, if it happened, how did that go for you? Uh, great question. Um, maybe what I can do is back it up a bit. Um, so, so, the, so just to give you an, uh, an idea, you know, the main thing that we sell are these, which are two packs. Um, so it's a carton, just an 18 point carton. Um, but then inside of it is much more interesting. So um, my idea for this goes all the way back to about 2017 when we were kind of walking through this. But, you know, I had a, a kind of a, a thought process around, you know, what if this was microwavable and kind of single serve self-heating? So, you know, if you ever buy, you know, I, I buy, you know, frozen vegetable steamer bags all the time. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, well, what if we applied that same concept 
to something that happens to be breaded, but is actually meant to be steamed. Um, and so it took a long time uh, to find something that could actually you know, work. Um, and so I started looking, I try to buy the vegetable bags, I try to like figure out who's making them and, and how they're constructed. And, and then, you know, we had to find people in China that could get us close to that. It finally, finally found somebody. And it, 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 at one point, we were just saying we were just doing like a tear off thing. So it's like, okay, let's just get a microwave safe plastic, you know, we'll flow wrap it and then just tell the customer to just, you know, tear it off. And, um, you know, that'll provide a little bit of ventilation. It's not super great because the customer would sometimes tear off like a big piece and then the bun would dry out. Right. Right. So, um, but we finally found somebody that made bags, um, you know, microwave safe plastic bags, um, that had, you know, these kind of, uh, structured fail points on them. And they, we, we tested them and tested them and tested them. And like, they always worked. We never had any pop on us. And the result inside the, inside the bag was perfect. The, the bowser came out great and it was very quick. So, mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of how we set this thing up that then became a big part of the overall product and the overall, you know, value proposition to the consumer. So the packaging is really, the direction of this packaging has been really instrumental to then how we've sourced it and how we've gone about it. So, um, the, the biggest difference, funny enough. So, so to, to answer your question then, um, is, you know, were we able to transition and, and effectively just, you know, duplicate what we're doing in China here? And, you know, not just in packaging, but actually the way the product is made across right. the board. Uh, absolutely no, um, for a few reasons. Um, the first thing, just in terms of importing, we were never going to import food from China. That, that's a non-starter. Right. Um, and then we, we actually did plan on importing all of our packaging. We said, why should we get at least the cartons, right? Why should we, you know, cartons, corrugate, right? Why should we spend time, you know, sourcing this stuff? in California when we could just put it on, you know, a boat and just stick with our existing supplier in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was going to be a big part of our plan. Uh, we buy stock uh, for very, very cheap there. And, you know, we modeled it out with the import fees and everything. It's like, this works. This is actually going to keep our cogs significantly lower than if we're trying to purchase through a supplier in the U.S. Yeah. Um, the problem is then COVID, right? So right. That's what I, was, I was like, but then I'm like, yeah. this happened. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden our entire kind of packaging supply strategy got like smoked and I had to buy these things in California. Uh, to give you an example on the carton stock, just you know, being open kimono here, you know, single carton in California, we were paying or in, in China, we're paying like, I don't know, the equivalent of about. Can I guess? Yeah. Okay, I've. It's a fun game. Uh, it's like turning the tables on a game show. Uh, it's for the two pack of these. Mm -hmm. In China, I'm gonna guess uh, five cents a box. Close, yeah. Um, it, it's put it this way: landed cost, uh, all in, hitting our co-packer in California. I think we had that modeled at one point around uh, around six to eight. Yeah, all in. But and then probably in California, it's 15 cents. Uh, we we got price gouged because I'm a rookie here. So oh no, I'm just I I'm so literally we, just making it up. So I we don't ended know. up on a good day. We ended up at about 22 and a half. 
but there were times okay. when we were paying 29. So the difference between, you know, eight and 29 is a lot of cents um, and a lot of gross margin that we sacrificed because COVID, right? So, yep. so there was that. Um, the other thing then is that everything in the U.S. is is done by machine, whereas in China, a lot of our manufacturing is done by hand. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we had, you know, uh, three sealed kind of open bags that we could buy in China that were very easy for us to acquire and very inexpensive. Um, but then the co-packer could have, you know, a, a line of people to stuff each one of them and hand seal them. Um, and I told that to the co-packer here in California and they literally laughed at me. They're like, right. absolutely not. You're going to have to flow wrap these. So all of a sudden we had to go from three seal to flow wrappable, you know, roll stock. Ooh, we basically had to start from scratch. Right. So that's been, and it's still, we're not there. Although I think we're getting there. So we had to actually settle on something that, you know, still actually came out of Taiwan. Uh, funny yeah. enough, um, because that's the only place I was able to locate this technology. I was not able to get anybody at like Mondi or any of the major packaging uh, conglomerates to mm -hmm. frankly answer my phone calls. This is in the, the heart of the pandemic. So I was nothing to them and they had bigger fish to fry. And so this just wasn't going anywhere. So um, I worked with a broker. We got this um, kind of technology. It's kind of a micro perf out of Taiwan. Um, and it does a pretty good job. It does a phenomenal job cooking the bun. The only problem is that it's not hermetically sealed. So mm. we have buns for the last two years that have been going out into distribution in the U.S., not hermetically sealed. And, you know, if, you're, if your inventory turnover and your, you know, your retailer turnover, your, 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 you know, your retail sale, sell through is, is good enough, you know, it's not necessarily a problem. And I've eaten these, you know, many, many months, you know, after production, they're fine and they're super safe and it's fine. But it's like we, we sacrificed a little bit of you know kind of experience and risk of dryness for just having something the only thing that we could source during the pandemic uh, so we're making a bit of a course correction on that now to something that's a little bit more high tech um, actually a little bit cheaper and actually more hermetically sealed so we're going to see a big increase so that story's not written but yeah. yeah let's just give you a sense on some of the packaging challenge we challenges we've had and a little bit of the china evolution yeah no doubt and it's um the reason it's one of the big one of the reasons I love doing this podcast and is because I I get to have these conversations with with people like you and these cool brands and I don't know where they're going to go but to just to start to like see this happening in in my brain from from like a packaging perspective I'm like oh my gosh this had to have been crazy over the last few years um and, and so you know it's it's just something that I, I know the people who listen to this, because let's be honest, people who listen to podcasts about packaging are are either like related to me or they're really into packaging. So like we get it, but the vast majority of the world just they, they interact with packaging. They use it every day, all the time, but they don't understand the complexities that go into it and the decisions and the hermetic ceilings and the oxygen barriers and the moisture barriers and the flow wrap versus the three side seal versus the, you know, the, the SBS board. And should we do 16 points? Should we light? It's like, oh my gosh, four color process, the whole thing. It's has, a, it, 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 there's a lot of complexity. It's a reason why it's a trillion dollar global business is because it's big, it's important. And typically Although it sounds like you you were you were ahead of the you were ahead of the curve early. Typically for CPG companies, 
it's sort of the last thing that they think about. And then it's like, oh, crap. Yeah. We got to get well, this thing packaged. Well, you know, we finally found a, a cheaper source, a North American source on our cartons. So we went from you know, about 22 and a half cents down to about 13 cents, mm. which is very meaningful, right? But that, you know, when you multiply that, I mean, when you sell a million cartons a year, uh, as we did in 2022, that's a hundred G's, yeah. <laughs> right? It's not, it's not, it's not inconsequential. That's for sure. Yeah. The other thing to add too, is that, you know, you know, people like us, we can spend all day dreaming up and, and sourcing really cool, unique packaging form factors and, and, and materials and things. But, you know, one of the, the bigger headaches ironically is really at the co-packer level, you know, all of that then has to finally, it has to dance a very fine ballet with the actual equipment that the co-packers already, already sitting on. And, um, unless you want to go out and, and buy gear all of a sudden, you know, those packing lines are extremely expensive. So there's always this push and pull and this kind of intricate ballet dance to make sure that, you know, what we're sourcing, what we're designing, what we're, you know, trying to you know, cost optimize, et cetera, is actually going to work and is actually going to cause fewer headaches than more headaches uh, when it actually gets into production. Um, so it's that, that, that's any, that's equally as complex as, 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 you know, once you're beyond the sourcing and actually making. Yep. For sure. Well, that is a, a great way to begin to wrap this up. So Alex, I, I love the conversation. I love the story. Um, I want to know how can people learn more about, uh, Bowza, where can they go buy it? Obviously, if you're in Salt Lake City, uh, you can go to Harmon's. Um, sounds like Sprouts is another option for some folks. Is, you know, just let let people know how they can how they can go out and uh, and try this. I can't wait to try it. I'm really excited. Yeah. Um, well, the best best thing to do is just uh, check out our website www.bowza.com. B A O Z Z A. Um, and we have a store locator and the store locator is always up to date. Um, and you can see what's closest to you. Uh, we're currently in about 4,600 stores. Um, you know, as we get into end of this year and into, into next, you know, we're probably going to lose a few. We're probably going to add a bunch more. So it's always kind of in this, you know, it's always up and down, but, um, but yeah, Kroger, Target, uh, you know, Whole Foods, if you're in Northern California, we're in all sorts of independent chains, kind of nationwide and, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. And, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me and talk packaging, I can just be reached at alex at baldza.com. Perfect. Well, Alex, I appreciate it. Thanks again for coming on uh, the uh, People of Packaging podcast. And um, thanks for making an awesome product. I'm excited to try edible, edible bow packaging for a pizza. Yeah, it's, it's yeah pre- appreciate that, Adam. You're going to have to... Give us the review. I'll do an unboxing video. Uh, you'll get you'll get my first reaction of unboxing it and then steaming it and then eating it. I'll record it all. So it'll be, it'll be fun. Appreciate Wonderful. it. Thanks, Alex. All right, thank you. Hey, congrats. You made it to the end of the podcast. If you're looking for more great podcast material in the packaging industry, please check out Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and the newly redesigned Package Unboxed with Avelio Matos. Go find them wherever you listened to this podcast. Thanks, everybody.